You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. John records. Now, if you're new to the faith, maybe you're not fully um, versed in scripture and that kind of thing, there's four gospels, and they're all right with different audiences in mind. Like, for instance, Matthew has a very Jewish audience in mind, and so he starts off with like this genealogy, and it's kind of hard to read, like, wow, this is boring. Um, but it's really important if you were Jewish to know where um, Jesus was coming from. Um, Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, so he explains a lot for people like you and I who weren't familiar with all of the kind of things. And then Mark was also for uh, a different audience. And then gospel, uh, the Gospel of John was the last gospel to be written, around about 80, 90, or 100. And so um, 90% of his gospel is not recorded. Uh, 90% of his gospel is unique to his gospel. In other words, it's not recorded in the other three gospels. Um, and um, I think part of that is to him just making sure that everything was captured um, well. Um, but he has a very clear focus of why he's writing. Now, in the first couple of hundred years of the start of the church, things were very raw, right? Things was, were moving fast. I mean, Jesus just exploded on the scene. This kind of like, cult-like following has just begun to overturn the most dominant empire of the time, the Roman Empire, and they're growing fast. And he writes with a very specific purpose because he wants to let people know, and there's a lot of debate about who Jesus is. He's a great teacher. He actually was God. He wasn't really man. He kind of came looking like a man, but he wasn't really man. Deities would never take on flesh. And then other people are like, no, 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 he wasn't. He was all man. He wasn't God. That's blasphemy, da, da, da. And so John tells us right at the end of his gospel why he's writing and specifically why he records these seven miraculous signs. Jesus did more than that, but he captures these seven. He says it like this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's a lot of things. He's a miracle worker. We're going to see that today. He's a a great teacher, but he wants us to know that he is more than all that. He is the very Son of God and worthy of our worship like we did today. Um, And so he wants you and I, he wants us to come to know Jesus more and in knowing him more, trust him more, and in trusting him more, experience the life that Jesus really has come to give us. All right, so we're going to be joining in John chapter 6, and this instance is Jesus walking on water, and so perhaps even if you didn't grow up in a religious background, you might have heard this story, because it's pretty dramatic. Um, And so this falls on the heels of what we heard last week, the feeding of the 5,000, and just to give you a bit of context, I'm going to read the first uh, two verses that just help us understand what's going on here, and it says, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, the feeding of the masses, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so this is kind of a peculiar thing. Now, there's a lot going to go on in today's uh, passage. I mean, a lot of just dramatic meta stuff of like Jesus is Lord. He's going to walk on water. No one, you know, we don't often do that. Um, and so, but what I want to take is kind of the the more personal approach of the perspective of the disciples. And so, if you've given up everything and you're following this rabbi. And you've just seen him perform a miraculous feat of feeding masses. You've been part of that. You were the one handing out and collecting 12 
basket full of leftovers, um, that's got to impact you. You got to think like, this is it. This is our moment. This is the leader that we have longed for. Messianic expectation is high. This Jesus has the stuff. And he could go ahead and we can join with him and make him our king. And he could go and overrule the Roman empire. And so Jesus was like a prophet like Moses, who was going to be a deliverer like Moses. And their expectations are high. He's a king. Um, but Jesus will have none of it. It's like, what? I mean, think about this. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. I mean, he sells his next conference. He's a billionaire. Honestly, he could write his book now, and gosh, he's like on the New York Times bestseller for weeks to come. He is at the height of his popularity. I mean, it goes downhill pretty rapidly from here. And um, the temptation on him must have been like, maybe we can have the kingdom without a cross. Maybe that's crossing his mind. Maybe we could bring in the kingdom of God without me having to go and pursue the path of the cross. But even in his moment, what does he do? He withdraws and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And what an example of when we face temptation, we face struggle, we face those, that he withdraws and draws upon a strength that you and I can also draw upon. You know, and oftentimes we're like the crowd. We're like the disciples is we, we make, we make Jesus, we make God in our own image. We, we want him to be something that we feel we need the most. We need a deliverer. We are tired of being the chosen people of God and under the Roman oppression. Now that was a very real need, but Jesus saw a deeper need that they were oblivious to. And he is not going to be used and manipulated towards our agendas, but he's come to give us so much more. And so what the crowd was doing, despite having seen a great miracle, is they were actually limiting Jesus and his scope of who he is and what he can do for them. And you and I fall in the same trap. Our immediate need often blinds us to the greatness and the goodness of God and often blinds us to our deeper and true need. It's not to dismiss the need that's in front of you, right? It's not to say that whatever need is, is present and very real to you. But it's to acknowledge that sometimes we um, we limit Jesus in our life because of what we deem uh, we want him to be. And so now we're going to come into this story on the back of that. And then from verse 16, it says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming, near, <coughs> excuse me, and coming near the boat. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And so I quickly want to just move through this and just really have a look at what's going on here and um, how personally, um, hopefully, it really strengthens and encourages us. And the first thing to note here is, number one, uh, storms are inevitable, right? Storms are inedible, in, or edible, inevitable. <laughs> now, um, some of Jesus' disciples are seasoned fishermen. 
uh, the Sea of Galilee, even to this day, I think I might have an image of the Sea of Galilee in far calmer storm, calmer um, circumstances, beautiful. It's a pretty big lake, so I don't know what you think about when you think of like, when you read your Bible and like they're going out in the sea, but it's probably about 20 kilometers long and I think about 10 kilometers wide at, at its peak. And um, it's actually about 600 feet below sea level and it has some hills and mountains around it. And so what often happens is the cold air rushes in and mixes with the warm air from the water and a very quickly you can have a squall or a, a temp like a storm um, even to this day that it happens and so it was pretty typical at that time for a storm like this to come up um, now Mark and Matthew they also record this story but they have different angles and it's pretty neat to read their different stories you might be familiar with Jesus uh, with Peter walking on the water that's not in our story today that's for another awesome time um, but they give us some details that perhaps help us with this story the way John is telling us and so Matthew actually tells us that Jesus as the crowd is getting ready to take him by force and make him king he tells his disciples go and get in the boat it says and actually it says in Matthew, he makes them, he compels them, he forces them to go and get in the boat. And I think Jesus is seeing a little glint in their eyes of like, yeah, this crowd could be onto something. Let's make you king. And he's, he's like, you guys need to get out of here. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. And so he sends them into the boat. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm going to obey Jesus. That's a good thing to do, right? If you also don't get anything out of today's sermon, obey Jesus is a pretty good life plan for you to have. Um, then Mark tells us that by the time Jesus begins to walk on the water, it's the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, for you early birds, that's like the darkest, coldest part of the night before the dawn, right? It's like the darkest, coldest. But that also means they've probably been rowing at least nine hours in a storm. All right? Like, that's CrossFit to the max. That's your cardio, your everything in one. Um, so... Think about how, if you were a disciple, how you're feeling physically. Obviously, you're depleted. You're exhausted. It's demoralizing. You're not making any headway. You might be scared and frightened. Um, but emotionally, what are they feeling as well? They might be incredibly confused. They're like, Jesus, he had a moment. We had a moment there. Like, why does he not want to be this king? Why does he not want to take the popularity of the crowd? And why don't we just do something that we haven't seen done in hundreds of years? We didn't give up everything to follow this. And so maybe they're sitting in that boat feeling uh, disappointed, perhaps disillusioned with Jesus and what he's doing or not doing. And maybe they're asking this, where is Jesus? Why has he abandoned us? Told us to get in this boat. Now we're in a storm. He's not with us. This isn't what I signed up for. Have you ever had any of those thoughts <laughs> in your life? And if you've been uh, walking with Jesus for any length of time, almost undoubtedly you've had this at some stage. Maybe that's a very real question for you today. Where is Jesus? Like, where is Jesus in my storm right now? Um, why does it feel like he has abandoned me? And this certainly isn't what I signed up for in following Jesus. And I think that's where they're at. I think that's where they're at emotionally. And do you know when you're tired, everything just becomes worse as well? Oh, by the way, they're probably super hungry, so they're hangry, right? You know a hangry person? They turn into something other. Like, it's like, whoa, let's get some food into you. I'm not speaking from personal experience, man. <laughs> People can get really miserable when they're angry and hungry. So life is filled with storms, financial, relational, 
vocational, emotional, spiritual, personal, global. Um, some are avoidable, right? Some storms, you just, it's, it's you. <laughs> you brought the chaos into your life, right? Because you do stupid things, right? It's, that's life, right? So let's acknowledge that. Some storms have got nothing to do with God. <laughs> it's all you. But some storms are unavoidable. Some storms have nothing to do with us, and we just find ourselves in them. Maybe it's the action of somebody else. Maybe it's way beyond. Maybe it's a government. Maybe it's nations. Maybe it's the world we're in. I think we all identify with a storm that we've all been through in the last three years that was <laughs> out of our hands. Uh, some storms that you go through are manageable. You're able to get it through. There's, an, there's enough in you to press through it. Oftentimes, we don't have that capacity. Our ability, like the disciples, has come to an end. We're exhausted. We're not getting anywhere. We just want to give up. We want to turn it in like this is futile. Maybe you feel like that in your storm. Um, in a storm, just like they were, it's easy to become exhausted. It's easy to get disappointed and disillusioned with life, with God. It's to feel overwhelmed. Um, it's easy to become afraid of what we can't see or anticipate or understand, right? It's easy for fear to take root within us when we don't know where life is going. We don't know how we're going to get out of the storm. Storms have an incredible capacity to blind us and fear blind us um, to just perspective. And so that's a dangerous place, place to be in. And so we might frustratingly wonder like disciples, where is Jesus in, the, in this moment? Why has he abandoned me? Um, this isn't what I signed up for. And so the second thing it's really important to know storms are inev inevitable. You might be in one right now. You might have come through one. There's probably one on the horizon. All right, so storms are inevitable. But the second thing to know is that Jesus is Lord over the storm. I mean, that is tattoo-worthy on your heart, wherever. Like, Jesus is Lord over the storm. And so let's see how he is. Now, we have a different relationship to water and the sea than people in the ancient time. Like, I don't know, a lot of you, like, water and sea equals hot beach happy place, sailing maybe, getting out on a cruise, right? It's a happy thought. Why? Because we, we've explored the sea and it's not terrible and there's no sea monsters that we can readily identify. I mean, there's some theories, but really it's pretty safe to go out there. That wasn't the case in their time, right? The sea represented the unknown. It was vast. It was dangerous, so psychologically, they have this relationship with water isn't kind of the same that we might have with water. In fact, Scripture um, tells us that water is very symbolic. It has some incredibly um, purifying symbols, water purifying. But also water is this, also this is a symbol of chaos, of disorder, of potential destruction. And so, for example, if you look in the first chapter of your Bible, it tells us in the very first two verses that before anything was created, there was this water, and it was void and without form and the Spirit of God was hovering and he's about to bring form and order out of chaos but that water is still in a chaotic sense it's it's unruly it's 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 it needs form and it needs order to bring the disorder what about further on when Moses is raised up to lead the people of God out of oppression out of Egypt what begins to become a mid uh, 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 the, the Egyptian army is chasing them and they come to the Red Sea 
And they're standing before the Red Sea. And God miraculously leads them through the Red Sea, taking a control over the waters uh, of the Red Sea. What about the waters of sin and judgment in Noah's time? How the waters of sin and judgment were unruly in his time. And then what happens 40 plus years later when the people of God have wandered in the desert and now they're time to enter the promised land, the promise of God, what stands before them? The Jordan River. And once again, God miraculously leads them through. So this water, the symbol of water, is it's powerful, it's chaotic, it can potentially be destructive to us. And so now we see Jesus putting his authority over the storm and the water, that even the waters of that storm are stepping stones for him. He is Lord over the storm. And so just as God miraculously demonstrated his sovereignty of all, all those instances of potentially this water mass being chaos, being opposition, preventing the people of God moving into their destiny. So now Jesus, the Son of God, walks on the stormy waters of the Sea of Galilee towards his disciples, which could be a picture of the church. These 12 disciples are the apostles of the church. What a picture and what a sign that Jesus will not abandon his church. Jesus will not abandon you and whatever storm you or I might face. And here's the amazing thing, and this is where it's cool to have different gospel writers uh, bring different perspectives. Mark tells us a little thing that I think is super helpful. He says, and Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. What the disciples didn't know is Jesus hadn't abandoned us. He was watching them from the mountain. He saw the storm come up. He was watching them, and it says, he saw that they were making headway painfully. Some of you, you just needed to hear this, that Jesus sees your life, that you're making headway painfully. He sees your life. You might feel like he doesn't. You might feel like he's abandoned you. But just like those disciples felt like Jesus had abandoned them in their storm and their time of need, he was watching. His eye was on them, and he could see them struggling. And he doesn't just sit up there and go like, oh, my gosh, look at these buffoons. You know, like, who goes out in a storm, Right? I was like, well, I think Jesus, didn't you send them out? Um, and so, no, it doesn't. It tells us that he kind of waits for the right time, but then he moves towards them in their storm. And so as he moves towards them in their storm, isn't that amazing? You think like, oh, Jesus is coming towards them in a storm. And what does it say? It says that they are terrified. They are frightened. Why? People don't walk on water. So again, in the other Gospels, they think he's a ghost. They don't know what to make of this, but they're frightened. And again, fear and a storm blind us. They blind us to the goodness and the greatness of Jesus, and they blind us to the very help and the Savior that's standing in front of us. And so just like they're blinded, their fear and the storm is blinding them to Jesus that's very much right in front of them. They don't recognize him. And so often where we're consumed with whatever's going on in our lives, we don't recognize Jesus in our life in that moment. And uh, we'll come a little bit later to ways to, to help that, but for them in that moment, they don't recognize him. And so Jesus says this, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now there's a whole lot going on here that it is I, it's the same Greek that often John uh, translates I am in the seven I am's in the <laughs> seven I am's in the gospel of John, I am the bread of life and resurrection of life. I am was a significant title for God way back to Moses' encounter with him at the burning bush. 
Moses is like, Moses is terrified. This is holy ground. What's going on? Bushes shouldn't be burning like this. Uh, and God says, tell them, and says, who am I going to tell who you are? And he says, I am. The fullness of God is wrapped up in that phrase. And so in the middle of the storm, the fullness of Jesus is being presented to them. Jesus is now not coming to them on their terms. We want a king. We want a deliverer. We want to march and go overthrow the Roman oppression. He's coming to them on his terms. I am. I'm not going to be boxed. I'm not going to be manipulated into what you need. What you need in this moment is to be reminded of who I am. That's what you need right now. And so he calms the storm in them before he calms the physical storm around them. And how does he do it? I am. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Is that enough for you? I mean, we say, oh, that'll be an oh. I'll believe it once I'm on the shore, Jesus. Just get me out the storm and then I'll believe it. Just pay that bill, then I'll believe it. Heal that person, then I'll believe it. Get me out of this relationship, then I'll believe it. Get me that promotion, then I'll believe it. Mm. That's your terms. Jesus is coming and he's showing up. He will show up, but he comes on his terms. So you prepare to meet him on his terms. I am. And because I am, don't be afraid. I love that. It's just like, I'm here. Why, why are you afraid? And so I, I have a lot of empathy for the disciples. You know, we put them on pedestals, and, and, and I mean, rightly, they go on to do some incredible things. But honestly, they were just really normal, average people like you and I, but they just constantly encounter the goodness and greatness of Jesus. And eventually they get it. Like, okay, this guy, like, <laughs> he's the real deal, and he can do something with me. And I think it's the same with our lives. And so the disciples discover Jesus so much more than they expected, so much more than what they perceived, but it took a storm for them to discover that. How about your and my life? It takes storms. It takes trials. It takes pressure. It takes resistance for us to grow and mature, and especially for us to begin to see Jesus for who he is on his terms. You know, you're not going to grow in just plain sailing. You know, you're not, not going to grow if you just live the rest of your life lying on a beach. And by the way, that sounds like a great thing. You would be bored out of your skull. Some of you would be bored within a week. Some of you might take a few weeks. Maybe some of you would take a few years. But eventually, because that's just not how you're designed. You're not designed to lie on a beach. You're not designed to just be coasting through life. We're not designed for that. And it takes storms. Sometimes storms we bring into our own life. Sometimes storms that life just brings into our life. It takes storms for us to discover, potentially discover, a deeper relationship with Jesus and find that in a storm um, we're to draw closer to Jesus and he's to draw closer to us. And just like the disciples were likely confused at Jesus, um, limiting their scope. Why? What's going on here? Like we had just an amazing moment. Now we're fighting for our lives in the middle of a lake. Where is Jesus? Just like they had limited scope of who Jesus is. And so expect him to act and behave in certain ways. Aren't we the same? Aren't we the same when he doesn't act or behave in ways that we think he should? And it brings confusion, disappointment, maybe even resentment uh, into our lives. But know this, that Jesus never fails to show up in our storm. And when he does, he reveals himself to us in ways we could never have imagined if we had stayed safely on the shore. And so there is just depths of Jesus we're never going to grow into unless we're willing to wade out and be in those storms that he is going to take us through. And so 
Here's the cool thing is Jesus encounters them in the storm. He steps into their storm with them, and then he uses the storm to transform them. So here's the third thing. Not only are storms are inevitable, <laughs> storms are inevitable. Jesus is Lord over the storm, but Jesus also uses, redeems, and transforms us through the storm. It's the amazing thing I love about Christianity. It's like even if you absolutely stuff up and mess up your life out of your own stupidity, your own sin, nothing is beyond the redemptive purposes of God in your life. God can use whatever mistake, whatever tragedy, whatever storm, whatever thing that you think is insurmountable enough, he can take that and make it a trophy of his grace if you'll let him. Is what it's beautiful. And so God, Jesus, transforms us even through difficult things like a storm. And so the storm was necessary for these disciples to see Jesus for who he truly is and come to trust him more fully. Remember, that's what John's trying to get at, and then experience the life that he has for him. So sometimes when Jesus enters our storm, we're immediately delivered from the storm, right? That's, that's great. It looks like in this instant they were done. Some people think that was a second miracle. John says they were, immediately they were at their destination. Did that just happen as a miracle or was it because Jesus was in the boat just they, they didn't even care anymore? And like, we don't know. But it looks like their deliverance out of that particular storm was pretty quick. And often we want that in life, and sometimes we get that in life, but oftentimes we don't. Sometimes we need to go through the storm, but Jesus goes through the storm with us. And just like it says in verse 21, when Jesus entered their boat, they were glad. I mean, understatement of the year. <laughs> but it's like, it's okay. When G Maybe the storm hasn't quite settled down, but Jesus is in my boat. It's going to be okay. I am is with me, and he said, don't be afraid. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with him. And he's in my boat, and if he's in my boat, it's probably not going to sink. In fact, it's probably going to get to where he wants it to go. And so oftentimes we fear the difficult storms of life, such as illness, I mean, financial challenge, loss of loved ones. There can be many things real and present here today, only to discover that these experiences can bring us closer to Jesus. And as we wrap this up, Charles Spurgeon is a great preacher. In, in a sermon on this particular passage, he says this beautifully, and hopefully it will encourage you. He says, So be of good cheer, for Jesus Christ will come to you, even when it is all dark around you. And here is another word of cheer for you, namely, that when he does come, it will be in a way that will give you a higher sense of his glory than you ever had before. You have seen him on the land, but you have never yet seen him on the water. Well, you could not see him walking on the water unless you were on the water yourself. And you could not see Jesus Christ calming the storm unless there was a storm to be quieted. And if the wind did not blow, you could not tell whether he could control it. Trial is absolutely necessary in order to reveal to us some of the attributes of our gracious God. Not only did Jesus bring them through the chaos of that storm, but he transformed them in the process. And we get a glimpse of this, not just a glimpse, you get a pretty, pretty real uh, testimony of this. If you continue reading in John's gospel further on, it says they get to the other side and the crowd comes back. And he begins to, I mean, do everything opposite than what he should be doing if he wants to be a New York Times bestseller. He begins to deliberately insult the crowd. And he, he does some very hard teachings. I don't have time to go into them, but he does some very hard teachings to the point where John says disciples, some of his followers begin to turn and walk away from him. What, a, what an incredibly sad verse in the Bible. And you know what Jesus does? 
is he turns to his close 12 disciples and he's, you know what he might, you know, I mean, maybe you would think like, hey guys, it's okay, don't worry, I'm Jesus, remember? He turns to them and he says, do you guys want to leave as well? <laughs> do you guys want to leave as well? And so Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, how do you come to know? Well, you've just been on the night with Jesus in a storm. I mean, you've come to know Jesus is not just the Israel's Messiah. He is the Lord of all creation. And so you and I, we all face storms. We might be in one right now. Um, because we're also still living in a world that is experiencing the effects of the sin of fall. And not yet has that all been resolved. And there's chaos and disorder around us, uh, even within us sometimes. But Jesus is Lord over the storm. And Jesus is able to bring us through the storm. And Jesus is able to transform us using the storm. Jesus is Lord over your storm right now. And is able to bring you through it, whatever it may be. And he'll use it to transform you in the process. And why do we have this confidence? Because Jesus faced the ultimate storm of sin, destruction, death, and disorder, and chaos. It was at the cross that he came and he dealt with the ultimate storm that all in you and I are absolutely beyond our capacity to deal with. And he dealt with it for us. And he triumphed over us. And he didn't abandon us in that storm. And so if he didn't abandon us in that storm, he's not going to abandon you right now in this storm. And he will come one day to calm all waters of chaos, disorder, and destruction. And we long for and wait for that day when he brings the full redemption into his creation. And all storms will cease to be. And until then, you and I will not have a storm-free life but we absolutely can have a storm-proof life. And here's a way that you can storm-proof your life. Firstly, ask the question, well, who is Jesus to you? Are we wanting Jesus in our image, in our immediate need, like the disciples? And that's a very human reaction to it, okay? I mean, let's give the disciples and you a, a bit of break, but that's when we, we've got to come to Jesus on his terms, receive him on his terms, because if he's Lord of creation, he gets to do and answer and take you out the storm how he sees best, not how I see best. Are you wanting to make Jesus king for your own purposes, or are you happy just to make him king because he is king? Second thing is, we can learn to seek and prioritize and recognize Jesus in our boat, in our life, through his presence and his word, in the calm of life. Don't wait for the crisis of a storm to get your Bible out. Don't wait for the crisis of a storm to cultivate the presence of God in your life, that you know the presence of God. I am. Do not be afraid. Don't wait for the crisis to hear that, to know that he's with you, his presence and his word are in your life. And then thirdly, don't find yourself in a storm alone. I mean, if there's one thing, the disciples, they were all together in that storm. There's no ways they would have lasted nine hours if they were by themselves. Don't find yourself alone in a storm. You're not meant to navigate storms of life alone. And so there's ways that we love to help people get connected with Jesus and with one another. You might hear a little bit later how we can help you take next steps in that. But I want to encourage you, storm-proof your life. Get people in your life, in your boat, that will help you recognize the presence and voice of Jesus when you can't see it that you learn to cultivate an awareness of the presence and the voice of Jesus, especially in moments when it's going to be difficult to hear or see him, and that you don't find yourself alone in a storm. Let's pray, um, and then we're going to transition into a moment of communion um, today. 
And so, Father, we do thank you that uh, through this incredible, miraculous sign, um, that you affirm that you're Lord of creation, that Jesus, you truly are the Christ, the Son of God, um, and that by believing we can come to have life in your name. And we see this in this passage, Lord, that the disciples come to literally have their lives saved by believing in who you are. And I pray today, God, whatever storm your people um, here today are encountering, however small and insignificant they may think it is, or however grand and overwhelming it may feel, that this passage that we've read today is full of your grace and your truth for us. God, that you see us making headway painfully in our lives and then you're not passive that you 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 enter our storms um, and you enter our storms and you remind us of who you are and because of who you are we don't need to fear and that we can trust you to take us through the storm and somehow use the storm for our good and so we want to yield to that today we want to surrender to that today and we want to receive you as the king that you are and not try to make you the king that we think we need in our lives and so, Lord, even as we come to the holy moment of communion, would, would it be a time of us renewing our vows with you, maybe for the first time putting our faith and our trust and our belief in you, that we would experience life that you came to offer us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org. 